Hello, everybody. Happy Sunday. I agree with Jeremiah, man. We want you to have a great day. It is Sunday. It's the first day of the week, which means uh, we're in a good place. And uh, we hope, uh, I tell you what, I heard you singing. Great singing back at home, man. Super. We appreciate it. So now we want you to relax. We hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you've got a few moments to go and grab it. If you don't, you can let us know. Uh, connect with us at Life Church. We'll get a Bible to you. Also, if you want to follow along with, uh, with an outline, uh, go to the church website, and on the video player, it's posted, or on Facebook, there's a link in the comments section, and um, uh, you can track with us. We've got some strategically placed blanks, uh, so you can get your pen out and uh, feel like you're back in school again. I know some of the kids back home, man, they're missing school like crazy. So this will give you just a little touch of what it feels like to be back in school. We're going to go back in time and um, back to 1941. That's a, that's a while ago. And Noble Doss, Noble Doss, some of you know him. Uh, he dropped a ball. Just like this. One ball, one pass, one mistake. Back in 1941, he let one of these passes hit the ground. And you know what? It's haunted him for the rest of his life. He said, I cost us, as a team, a national championship. You see, he played at the University of Texas. They were ranked number one in the nation in 1941. And they were hoping for an undefeated season and a spot at the Rose Bowl for the championship game. So this particular game, they were playing their rival, Baylor University. They had a 7-0 lead going into the third quarter, and the Longhorn quarterback uh, launched a deep pass to the wide-open Doss, Noble Doss. And this is what he recalls. The only thing I had between me and the goal was 20 yards of green grass. How do you like that? So the throw was perfect, and the stands, man, people were standing in the stands waiting for this touchdown pass to be completed. And, of course, the sure-handed Noble Doss went right through his hands. Oh, oh man, that broke the hearts of everybody, especially, especially Noble Doss. Man, Baylor rallied, and they tied the game with uh, a few seconds to play. Texas lost the top ranking in the country, and they lost their chance to play at the Rose Bowl. What a sad thing, huh? And Doss admits, I think about that play every single day of my life. Incredible. But here's the thing. Doss had a lot of cool memories. He was happily married for more than six decades. He was a father. He was a grandfather. He served in the Navy during World War II. He appeared on the cover of Life magazine with his Texas teammates, He intercepted 17 passes during his collegiate career at the university, which broke a record. He won two NFL titles with the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Longhorns Hall of Honor includes his name. Now, most fans in Texas will remember all the cool things that Doss did, all the passes he caught, all the interceptions, but you know what? All Doss can remember is that one dropped pass. Can you believe it? Yeah. 
Fifty years after that game, Noble Doss met the new coach for the University of Texas. And you know what they talked about? Noble told a new head coach about his drop pass. And when he was telling that story, he wept. Yeah, 50 years after the drop pass in that particular game. So I don't know about you, but we can, I think all of us relate to Noble Doss, you know, memories of drop passes in our life, um, fearing that we disappoint people when we drop those passes of life. We let the team down, and because of our mistakes, it impacts other people. Well, of course, some of us would gladly swap places with Noble Doss. You know, if we just drop the pass, it's no big deal from all the stuff we've gone through, all the failures we've experienced. So this morning, we have to remind ourselves that the enemy, the devil, would really love for, for us to kind of go off the rails with thinking, man, I've messed up so many times that God will not forgive me anymore. The tap is empty. Talk about social distancing. Maybe you feel like God is social distancing against you. He's got no more forgiveness left for you. You want to know something? That's not the truth. That is not the truth. And I want to encourage you today, as we open the Bible, God's Word, we're going to look at a story that we can all relate to. Just like Noble Doss dropping that pass, man, we can relate to all the drops we've had in life. Uh, there's a dude in the Bible that had a lot of drops in his life, and Jesus never gave up on him. So let's go to the, the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, and it's the last chapter, chapter 21. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Everybody ready? Got your Bibles open? Here we go. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord before we dig in any further. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this story that is in the Bible on purpose because so many of us can relate to it. Lord, help us to listen and to hear what you're saying to us. I'm sure there's people today that, man, like noble dust, they think men have messed up in, in, in their mistakes and, and the failures of the past. They just haunt them day and night. I pray today, Lord, when it's all said and done, they'll bring it to you, Jesus, and allow you to bring healing to them. In your name we pray, amen, amen. All right. I, 
the Bible, uh, you know, one of the reasons, I like the Bible, I love the Bible, but one of the cool things I like about the Bible is it, it keeps all the stories of the mistakes and all the, the failures people made in it, which, which makes us realize that God would have to write the Bible because if you or I wrote the Bible, what would we do? We would get the vacuum out and vacuum all the mistakes and failures out of it, right? Yeah, we, we try and give a good picture. But because God wrote it and he can identify with you and me, he wants each of us to be encouraged not to sign off on his grace because we've made mistakes, because we've had failures in our lives. And this morning, as we look at Peter's story, it's going to be an encouragement to each of us on how God went after Peter and pursued him and restored him in his relationship. So, number one in your notes, Jesus in pursuit. All right, Jesus in pursuit. Verse one, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Check out what the Sea of Galilee looks like. Isn't it? That's pretty cool, isn't it? What a beautiful sight. Well, that's where we're at today in this particular story. Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, and it's a beautiful place. So last Sunday, for those of you that watched the stream, we talked about two dudes on the road to Emmaus. They were leaving Jerusalem, and what did Jesus do? He went after them. He went after them. And we look in John 20, verse 24. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Jesus is showing up in Jerusalem. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas, of course, in great faith, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, guess what? Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing before them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, kind of interesting, "Um, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wounds in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. So last Sunday, we looked at the two dudes from walking away from Jesus on that road to Emmaus. We see Thomas, who didn't believe Jesus was alive until he could touch the wounds in his side. What does Jesus do? He goes after him. And today, we're looking at there's some unfinished business with Peter. And where does Jesus go? He goes to the Sea of Galilee. He goes to where Peter is. What does that say to you? We just gave three examples. The two guys on the road to Emmaus, Thomas, And now we're looking at Peter. Three examples on how Jesus goes after people who maybe have some doubts, who have fears, who think maybe God can't love them anymore because they've messed up so many times. I don't know about you, man, but that is so good to know that God doesn't give up on us. He's pursuing us. And so... Peter had this mindset, you know, that he was the greatest. 
He was the most spiritual. He bragged about it. He told Jesus about it. He said, man, hey, Jesus, you can't trust these other disciples, but man, I am the cool dude. I am Mr. Spiritual. I, you can count on me. What did Jesus say to him? He said, uh, Peter, actually, I can't count on you because you're going to deny me three times. And there's going to be a rooster that's going to crow to remind you of that fact. In fact, in Mark 14, 68, it says that Peter denied knowing Jesus. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he went into the entryway and just then a rooster crowed. Check out this rooster, man. This is a good-looking rooster, isn't it? And uh, the times that we've gone on uh, mission trips overseas, uh, roosters always seem to be around, you know, and it's always around 4 or 4.30 in the morning. They just like to wake up the world, right? Well, that's kind of the rooster uh, that was dealing with Peter. And he wasn't, roost, he wasn't crowing at uh, uh, 4 or 4.30 in the morning. No, this was late at night. And it was a reminder, hey, Peter, you think you're so great and powerful, but look at you denied Jesus three times within a day crazy stuff. And so that's one of the reasons why John 21 has been written. It's in the Bible on purpose to remind us that even when we mess up, even when we're so hard on ourselves, like Noble Doss was so hard on himself, Jesus comes after us. And so that brings us to number two, abode in waiting, abode in waiting. Look at verse two. So we're at the Sea of Galilee. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And so they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Let's, let's take a look at this boat Friend, I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. You know, we're all dealing with coronavirus, uh, social distancing. Some of you may have lost your jobs. Some of your businesses may be struggling right now. Can I tell you something? There's always a boat waiting for you. Man, if, if we want to abort the mission that God has for our lives, there is always a boat waiting for us to take us where we don't want to go. Yeah, it, it, it's so convenient, you know. Uh, it could be our past life. It could be an old addiction. Uh, it could be a, a broken relationship. Whatever, whatever the case may be, there's always a boat waiting for you to take you where you really shouldn't go. And here we see, number two, there's a boat waiting for Peter and six other disciples, Why? Because Peter, man, he is so frustrated with himself that he had denied Christ. He just didn't feel worthy. He didn't feel like he was good enough to be around Jesus. And so he he and these disciples said, you know what? We feel comfortable doing what we used to do. Yeah, yeah. We we used to be fishermen, and that's my comfort level. And so it would be therapeutic if we go back into the boat and we do some serious fishing. And so that's exactly what they do. Peter leans in first and he says, I'm going to go fishing. And the other six said, you know what? 
I'm with you, man. I'm with you. We're, we're all going to join you in that boat. And so uh, as we look at, at this map, going from Jerusalem, uh, let's get my nifty little, look at that. There's Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was buried. And they're taking a 77-mile trip up to the Sea of Galilee right here. Boom. Yeah, they're getting away from it all. So there they are. We've got the, the names of the guys. And you know what's interesting about the Sea of Galilee? Is that's exactly where Jesus met Peter for the very first time. Three years earlier. Same place. In Luke 5 it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed, Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, that's Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So here Peter has the agony of hearing the echoes of that rooster in his ears. It just kept playing over and over and over again. Just like, just like Noble Doss kept replaying that drop pass in that game. Peter kept replaying the, the rooster crowing three times. He couldn't get away from it. And so he figured, man, I messed up so, so big. Uh, God can't use me anymore, you know. I might as well go fishing and call it the end of the day. And that's exactly what happened. So whenever we fall down, you know what? That lessens our confidence in God. And that's when the enemy likes to come in. That boat is waiting on the shore. You've let God down in yourself. You know, that little voice in the back of your head. Don't even bother going back to God. Don't pray about it. God's fed up with you. You want to know something? Not true, not true. But that's what the voice says. And you've blown it for the last time. Guess what happens when we believe those lies? That whisper in the back of our head. The boat is waiting for us. I'll just go back to drinking again, you know. I can't turn to God. What else, what else do I have to do? I'll just go back to that bad relationship. I know this relationship harms me, but God doesn't want me. What else, what else can I do? Or I'll just go back to my poor thoughts again, my stinking thinking. I can't ever seem to get a handle on the problem, and God's probably tired of hearing my excuses by now. Or I'll go back to those old friends. Yeah, they're in the boat. Back to the place I used to hang out and when the people I used to run around with. Yeah, I'll do that. Go back to that harmful stuff I used to do. I'll go back to what I know, man. I was comfortable with that. I could go hide there in that boat with my buddies. So the disciples went back to their old occupation. I want to remind you, there's always a boat waiting, friend, to take you where you don't want to go. You need to be awake. You need to be alert. Don't give in to those temptations of going back to your past. Number three, Jesus is waiting. So we have Jesus in pursuit. Number one, a boat in waiting. Number two, and Jesus is waiting. Number three, look at verse four. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied, 
Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then a disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Hmm. Jesus shows up in the early morning. These guys have been fishing all night. Again, professional fishermen. (laughs) There's a voice from the shore. They don't even know who it is. (laughs) They they probably thought it was their competition, you know. Uh, He probably had some sonar equipment on shore and knew where the fish were. (laughs) So, So these guys, man... Fishing all night, they, listen, it it, it says, uh, Jesus says, throw the net on the right side. Being professional fishermen, I'm sure they tried the right side. And after an hour and a half, they probably threw it on the left side. And after an hour and a half, they probably threw it behind them. And then after another hour and a half, they threw it in front of them. And probably after that, somebody went under the boat and put the net right underneath the boat. And it came up zero, man, no fish. Nothing going on. <laughs> and his voice, this voice is saying, hey guys, ah, try the right side. Try the right side. So experienced fishermen, what do they do? They throw it on the right side. Listen, it was a season of failure for these guys. Peter had felt like a big failure after he messed up with Jesus, denying him. And then he goes fishing to what he used to do so well, and he comes up empty. Another failing night of fishing. You ever have that in your life? You know, a season of failure where it seems like dominoes, boom! Everything's falling down in your life? Well, that's exactly what it was like for Peter, you know? Um. I want to encourage you today. Don't give up. Remind yourself of this great story. And so we see that Peter, what's he do? When he is told that Jesus is on the shore, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? He feels so uncomfortable because he denied Jesus, but what does he do when he hears Jesus is on the shore? He's the first one to get there. He wants to be by Christ. It's kind of like Dennis the Menace, a cartoon. He's kneeling by his bed for his bedtime prayers one night. He's got his pajamas on. He's got his cowboy hat on. He's got his cowboy boots on. Kneeling by his bed, he looks up to heaven and he says, Lord, I'm here to turn myself in. (laughs) I'm here to turn myself in. Man, just like Peter. That's what Peter's doing. He's saying, Lord, I'm swimming to shore because I'm going to turn myself in, man. I'm a loser. Yeah. Well, anybody feel like Dennis this morning? Uh, Anybody feel like Peter? I think Peter felt, yeah, Dennis the Menace, that's me, you know. I'm turning myself in. So we've got uh, some interesting things going on here. And Peter wasn't willing to wait for a more opportune time, 
Look at this. He's been up all night. And he couldn't wait to be where Jesus was. I want to encourage you, friend, if you feel distant from God right now, go after him. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That's a promise. And uh, Peter splashed eagerly to shore. That needs to be our response to Christ, too. Please, please don't vacillate. Don't, Don't procrastinate any longer. Make that move. Get to where Jesus is. You don't want to know something? He's right by you. He's waiting for you. And um, we see number four now, a meal prepared. Look at verse 9. When they got there, when they got to shore, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Uh, Let's check this fire out, for example. Here's a fire on shore. Jesus um, built this fire to cook the fish on. Where was, when was the last time Peter was by a fire? Oh, yes, that was the night he denied Jesus standing by a charcoal fire, the same kind of a fire. Isn't it interesting? So many times we like to, if we mess up, you know, we, our failures, what we do, instead of dealing with it, we just kind of bury it, you know. We tuck it away. We throw it in a suitcase and we carry it with us. Peter hits the shore, even though there's a fire there. That fire could have intimidated him to the point where he says, I'm just going to stay out in this boat a little longer. No, he got to where Jesus was. He got to where that fire was because Jesus was going to do some work in Peter's life. You know what? Peter knew it. He was open for Jesus to do a new work in him. And so what's cool about this, you know, when Peter first won the shore, Hey, does he get some kind of award? Hey, Peter, you get uh, ice cream after you eat breakfast. No, nothing like that. Jesus didn't commend Peter on this fantastic swim to shore. Jesus didn't chew Peter out for denying him. Jesus didn't rebuke Peter for failing him. You know what does he do? You notice what happens here? Jesus simply invites him for breakfast. Isn't that cool? Friend, if you've messed up and you feel distant from God... You know what's going on right now? He's cooking breakfast for you. He wants to have a meal with you. He wants to sit down and hang out with you. Why? Because he loves you so much. Isn't it cool? And we see, we see this fire cooking. And verse 11 says there were 153 large fish. What's that all about? Well, because professional fishermen, when they caught the fish, they would count them. And they would divide them up amongst the team. Jesus, man, he did a miracle there. He knew where the fish were. And um, let these disciples celebrate their great catch because they listened to what Jesus had to say to them. So they found the Savior who loved them. All the provisions for breakfast were there for them. And if you've been drifting, you know, from God because of your shame, because of your failure, um, it's time. It's time to come close to Christ. There's a book called True Mom Confessions, Real Moms Get Real. It talks about confessions made by moms who they feel a strong sense of guilt or inferiority. And um, they've got some examples here. One is, a mom says, when people notice the improvement in my son's behavior, I tell them it's because I cut the red dye and refined sugar out of his diet. Actually, 
it's because I started seeing a counselor and stopped yelling at him so much. But how do I explain that? The goldfish didn't die of natural causes like I told the kids. I forgot to feed them. <laughs> oh, here's another one. It's been one of those days. I just ate a full pint of haagen And when my three-year-old asked me what I was eating, I told her it was some special medicine for mommies because I didn't want to share it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, here's another one. I lean over my baby's beds at night, and when they're asleep and whisper, I promise I'll be a better mommy tomorrow. There's just too many days I wish I'd done better. You see, the weight, you know, the, man, I'm not perfect. I don't have it together. Uh, we, can, we can beat ourselves up like that. And so number five, one-on-one with Jesus, verse 15. After breakfast, so they had a meal together. Jesus prepared it. He served it. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. That's the heart of Christ. We see it here. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is interesting. Peter was hurt. He was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. Do you see his attitude here? He's not braggadocious. He's not arrogant. No, no. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Lord, even though I'm not perfect, even though I messed up, when it's all said and done, Lord, I love you. That's what Peter's saying. And Jesus said, then feed my fish. So we see in this story that it's not over yet, is it? It's not over. Can I, can I just float this to you today? Each of us needs one-on-one time with Jesus. One-on-one with Jesus, number five. Peter needed it. You and I need it. If Peter did not have this one-on-one time with Jesus, can I tell you something? He probably would have drifted spiritually for the rest of his life. Always looking at himself as a failure like Noble Doss did when he dropped the past. Just haunted him, see? But because Jesus went after him, and then Jesus says, Peter, let's talk. He doesn't, he doesn't bring up the past. He just simply asks him, do you love me? Because it's a reminder how much Jesus loved Peter. Three times, Jesus was making a point with Peter that he wasn't finished with him. Okay, Peter, you say you love me. Great. I want you to know, this is in essence what he's saying, Peter, I love you so much more. And that was to encourage him. So we need to put our failures, our sins on the table with Christ, that one-on-one time. You know, we, we take our failures, we, th- we throw them in a bag, backpack, and we carry them for the rest of our lives, and it, it wounds us. It keeps us from becoming who God wants us to become. No, no, no. Peter, 
was transparent with Jesus on this one-on-one time and put it on the table. And Jesus dealt with those failures. And guess what? Jesus wasn't done. Which leads us to number six, failure reset, a strong finish. Failure reset, a strong finish. Look at verse 18. I tell you the truth. So Jesus is having this conversation. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. That's like some of you. It's like some of us. Me. Yeah. When I was young, boom. I did whatever I wanted. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. What is, what is Jesus implying here? He's implying that Peter is going to become a martyr. Verse 19, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus was telling Peter, because Peter was willing to put everything on the table, his past failures, his insecurities, Jesus was able to deal with that. And Jesus was saying, not only will you live for me, Peter, but the day is coming when you will die for me. Oh, by the way, Peter, you're going to die an old man. Peter was 68 years old when he died. And um, he was uh, in Rome under Nero. Nero had him crucified. Peter said, I can't be crucified because Jesus, my Savior, was crucified like that. I want to be crucified upside down, and that's what happened. He was crucified upside down as a martyr. So check this out. In Acts 12, verse 6, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Listen to this. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Where's Peter at? He's in prison. He's going to be tried and potentially be killed. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Now, If you knew you were going to die the next day, could you sleep? Probably not. Peter knew that his time wasn't up yet. He was going to die an old man. And so here, it says he was, the night before he was going to be put on trial, and here he is fastened with chains and between two shoulders, he's counting sheep. (laughs) He's counting sheep, man. He's, He's sleeping. Why? Because he knows his life is in God's hands. And here it is, here it is. How could he sleep? Because he had the security of knowing that God had told him, Jesus had told him that he would die later on. And he says, follow me. I love this. Of all Peter's failures, all the failures, Jesus does not change the assignment with Peter. He says, follow me. Follow me, literally in the Greek means keep on following In other words, don't follow for a while, then check out. Peter, keep on following. May it be your life pursuit. It means consistent, steadfast pursuit of Jesus. So how did Peter let go of the rooster's echo? Hmm? How did that happen? He believed he was forgiven by Jesus. That one-on-one time with Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus forgave him and endorsed him for the ministry. He wasn't finished with them. And so, just like Paul, this is what happened to Peter in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. 
I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ is calling us. So I press on, forgetting the past, forgetting the past. Now, can he forget the past? No, we, we can't do that. But in other words, he doesn't camp out on the past. Noble Dusk, he camped out on the past, on missing that past. And it haunted him the rest of his life. Peter would not be haunted by his past. He's forgetting it, just like Paul. Why? Because he was forgiven. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life, in my life. And we have that great, great encouragement. Mark Atterbury, pastor's in America, and he says, one day I sat down with a successful pastor whom I respect a great deal, and he rocked my world when he told me that he only had one goal in life, and that was to be faithful to the Lord every day. To be faithful to the Lord every day. That's the secret, friend. To be faithful to the Lord every day, guess what? We will follow Christ. We will keep on following Christ day after day. And so, you know what? God wasn't angry with Peter. God's not angry with you. I don't know what's your past, what you're hauling around, but God's not angry with you. He's not displeased with you. He wants to forgive you, just like he did Peter. And here's the deal. Peter was forgiven by Jesus, and he forgave himself. Yeah, he forgave himself. That's what liberated him to go on and live a full life for Christ. And so the Bible tells us we are loved. Man, we are loved. You know that great song of the church, Jesus loves me, this I know? It's not Jesus loves me, this I feel, or Jesus loves me, this I hope. No, it's Jesus loves me, this I know. Man, sing that song with gusto, man. It's a great song. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Peter had that experience as well. Booker T. Washington tells the story of when he was a little boy in the 1860s. Every morning in his young life, he, along with All the plantation slaves were awakened by a crow of a rooster. And long before daybreak, the unwelcome noise would fill the ears, reminding Washington and his fellow workers to crawl out of bed and leave for those cotton fields. Well, the rooster's crow came to symbolize their dictated life of long days working in those fields. But then came the Emancipation Proclamation. On January 1st, 1863... President Abraham Lincoln pronounced freedom for the slaves. Well, the first morning after that, young Booker was awakened by that rooster calling again. Only this time, his mother was chasing it around the barnyard with an axe. (laughs) And so the Washington family cooked and ate their alarm clock for lunch. Yeah, they ate that rooster for lunch. It was their first act of freedom to silence the reminder Of their slavery. Do you have any roosters stealing your sleep? Hmm? You might need to sharpen the axe blade, man, because the great news of the gospel is Jesus' grace is real 
And so is his freedom that he wants to give to us. Have you accepted the forgiveness of Christ? 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's a promise. That's what he wants to do. And so this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. You're saying, man, I messed up. There's no way God could love me. That's not true. He went to the cross to die for you and die for me and pay for our sins in full. There's nothing that we can do to ever earn it. And so I want to encourage you. Put that rooster Take care of business this morning by allowing Jesus to become your spiritual leader. I'm going to pray, and you can repeat after me with these words. If you would like to place your faith in Christ this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. And by faith... I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and place my trust in you. You promised to save me, Jesus, and I believe you because you are God and you cannot lie. I believe right now that you have become my personal Savior and all my sins are forgiven through your precious blood. I will live for you by your Spirit's power for the rest of my life. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your great name I pray, amen. Hey, hey, if you invited Jesus to become your spiritual leader this morning, I want to celebrate with you, man, because that is the greatest decision you could ever make on planet Earth. It is awesome. And I'd encourage you to contact lifechurchmh.com. That's our website. Get in contact with us, and we would love to send you more information of what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, we want to celebrate with you. We want to endorse your decision. We want to help you in any way we can. And so God bless you. Thank you for watching today. In Jesus' name, amen.